the Radio Stingray podcast is brought to you by our gold sponsor, McNally Jones Staff Lawyers. Proudly supporting the MUA Sydney branch since 1977. Need assistance with employment, industrial or workers' compensation, or any other legal problem? Phone 9233 4744 or visit mcnally.com.au and get a real fighting lawyer on your side. Hello and welcome to Radio Stingray. Radio Stingray is a regular podcast of the Maritime Union of Australia Sydney branch. Before we get going, I would like to acknowledge the Aboriginal elders past, present and emerging always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today's show is a special feature on a very special place, Sydney Harbour. Here in the studio to talk about it, we've got two very special people, Paul Garrett, the Assistant Branch Secretary of the MUA Sydney Branch, and Bo Chippendale, a staunch, energetic unionist, fresh from his shift on Sydney Harbour. How's it going, boys? Yes, good afternoon, good day, good morning, whatever time you listen to the podcast. Thanks for being here, Shane. <laughs> yeah, good to good be thanks. back on air. Bo, how was your shift, mate? Yeah, it was good. It's really good. You get in any trouble? No, not this, not this time, mate. It's still time, mate. It's still yeah. time. <laughs> Uh, Today we're going to talk about two substantial developments on the harbour, Sydney Harbour that is, a new agreement freshly voted up by workers at Harbour City Ferries and a major campaign underway to force tourism giant NRMA to take safety and workers' rights seriously. But before we do, I think we're going to just have to take a minute to describe the harbour to our interstate and international listeners. Bo, how would you describe Sydney Harbour, mate? When was the first time you set eyes on the joint? Uh, It's an iconic body of water on Australia's coast. Uh, I first set eyes on it when I was a uh, young little lad. You're a Sydney boy, are you? Yep, born and bred. And uh, yeah, I used to hoon around on the harbour in a little tinny. And I've had a love for it ever since. Beautiful. Uh, Paul, I understand you've got a long-standing personal history with the harbour. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Oh, no doubt. I, when I've uh, been an official for a number of years and before that I've had the honour of working on tugboats and I've also done my time on charter boats. And then before that, with my old man, um, he used to work on the lines boats and the small ferries too. So growing up always around the harbour, I think his dad was on the harbour and, you know, the whole family's been around Sydney Harbour, so it's nothing new to me. But what I have seen is one of the most iconic harbours in the world continue to deliver jobs for maritime workers over many generations. And my family and so many other families have been beneficiaries of being able to work on the harbour. It's just one of the beautiful parts about Sydney, I suppose. It sure is. Would you describe the harbour as important to maritime workers? Of course it is. The amount of jobs it's created over the years. It's it's sad, though, a number of those jobs have been lost. You hear about the good times when even Darling Harbour and White Bay and Glebe Island were open or the great times with Cockatoo Dockyard, the uh, opportunities that were given with some of the small ferry work, putting the workers around, going up the river to... Uh, Parramatta, it's just a wonderful place, but it created so much employment. And the good thing about Sydney Harbour is it didn't matter where you come from. It, you know, it didn't matter if you're from a broken home or illiterate, as many maritime workers were. There was always a job there for you if you were prepared to work, you know, on the wharves, on the tugs, on the lines boats, on the ferries. There was always a job there on ships. Now it's just a beautiful place. About how many people work on Sydney Harbour now and what kind of jobs do they do? Look, at the moment, I mean, to, to quantify it, we've got, oh, there'd have to be quite a, few, a couple of thousand at least on Sydney Harbour. 
I mean, predominantly the largest employer on Sydney Harbour would be Harbour City Ferries um, that has about 600 uh, ferry workers there. You've got Spitzer Tugs, you've got the Port Authorities, you've got Manly Fast Ferries, which has some hundred odd workers. The linesmen, I'm sure I'm going to miss a few of the bunk, uh, members who work on the bunker barges. So there's different crews that work on those bunker barges. You've got water taxis and we've got members in water taxis. We've got members who work on charter boats. There's just a great vast of people that are sp- spread out across a number of employees on Sydney Harbour. So this week has been a fairly momentous one for ferry workers on Sydney Harbour. So just for those people listening out there that aren't familiar with the industry, how many companies are currently running ferries on Sydney Harbour? Well, Harbour City Ferries is one. But then we have a problem because you've got Manly Fast Ferry or My Fast Ferry as they're called now, who are a ferry company who own ferries, who run ferries and put ferries down the side. They actually say they're not a ferry company because they don't want to use the correct award. But we'll call that two. You've got uh, Sealink there, um, which was the old Captain Cook, which would be through, and a couple of other operators there which do the smaller runs. But they claim not to be ferries because they can pay the Charter Vessels Award and exploit people who are on casual and insecure employment. So the Harbour City Ferries is the company that most people would associate with the ferries on Sydney Harbour. They're the iconic green and yellow boats that go across to Manly, the north of the harbour. They go up the river to Parramatta. And then what's the role of the private operators, Sealink and Fast Ferry? What do they do? Well, absolutely. Harbour City Ferries does the Sydney Ferries run. Sealink and Manly Fast Ferry. Manly Fast picked up the old Jetcat runs, which were cancelled in 2009. So they do that work. They've also expanded their business to do work across to Taronga Zoo and Watson Bay and shuttle runs up to the quarantine station at uh, North Head and across to Manly. Sealink do uh, runs up the west of the river. They also do a run from Barangaroo to Manly. So... A number of operators are picking up new routes that weren't traditionally done. But if you think of Sydney Ferries and Harbour City Ferries, that's the green and golds. That's the one you see uh, on aeroplanes when you see, you know, a ferry, the Opera House, the Harbour Bridge and Sydney Harbour. That's where the iconic one is. Right. So the bulk of the ferries are still being run by Harbour City Ferries at the moment. Absolutely. There's 30-odd vessels and serviced by some 600 workers. And my understanding is they're doing that under contract from the state government. Is that right? that's right. They, uh, Berejiklian... Was a well, she was a transport minister at the time. There was franchise franchises they call it privatises the real world uh, back in two thousand and twelve for a seven year contract, and they're basically operating that under license for the New South Wales government. The government still owns the ferries, the timetables, the routes, the fare structure, but. The actual running of the ferries and the employment move from public to private. So it's public transport we're talking about? Public transport with private companies running it. Okay. So in Harbour City Ferries, which is the largest organisation which is running public transport on the harbour, around about how many workers have we got there? Now, we went through that, 600. We've, uh, we've got about 350 members there. Yep. Um, and we go across all classifications. We have uh, deckhands, being general purpose hands. We have inner harbour engineers. Uh, who I have the MED2 qualifications, the Outer Harbour Engineers, and we also have some masters as well. And, of course, we have the members who sell the tickets on the wharves. So on Wednesday, I had the pleasure of attending a meeting of a few hundred harbour workers along with both of you two fine-looking gentlemen. What was that meeting all about? No, look, it was a good meeting. That was the Enterprise Agreement Endorsement Meeting, and most uh, EBA meetings... Uh, for endorsement can be vanilla, some can be a bit more colourful. But this uh, meeting was a good opportunity for the MUA to report back to the members of what's been going on. This was a negotiation not only with Harbour City Ferries, who's a wholly owned subsidiary of Transdev, but it went on with Transport for New South Wales. And it gave the delegates and the brands the opportunity to actually speak directly with the government and say, along a few things, 
One, the government hasn't delivered on uh, the number of vessels that they were supposed to put on. They were supposed to put more assets in in the last seven years as part of the privatised entity and they didn't. So the union went back and not only fought with Harbour City Ferries but the New South Wales government and said, we need more vessels on, you haven't put enough in and you're chartering in people on inferior wages. And as part of the result of those negotiations, the New South Wales government's committed not only to uh, increasing the number of vessels but uh, procuring four more vessels and making sure that that's in, that works in source. The one that's done basically under contract, that's now in source and that goes back and creates more jobs for our members. Okay, so just a bit of an explainer on that. The Harbour City Ferries, the company which is running public transport on behalf of the state government, they don't currently have enough vessels to fulfil their obligations on the timetables, is that right? That's it. And they have to charter in four boats every day just to do the normal timetables. And so those charter boats that are coming in, the staff that run those charter boats, they're not currently working for Harbour City Ferries. They're working for a different company. No, they're a subcontractor and they're paid inferior rates of pay. And that was one of the things that the delegates said. If you're coming in here doing our work, you're paid our rates of pay, you're going to be on the same conditions and you're going to be welcome to be members of the union. And so this new agreement's going to fix that? Well, it goes one step further. It basically says no more charter boat operators and whoever's running the contract, go and procure four more boats and go and employ them directly. They're entitled to decent wages and conditions and that's something that we've fought for to make sure it was achieved as part of this EBA outcome. Huge result. No, it's massive. And the other thing is too, it gives stable employment. The other big win that we've had there, besides the wage increases beyond the government policy, we've got 3% per annum over the next four years. But the workers, the delegates and the branch have worked together to deliver a cap on casual employment. They've delivered more permanent jobs, albeit through a, a model there which basically is transition to permanency, that you have a more or an unfixed roster. But there's a cap there of 5% of casuals. A maximum of the workforce can be casuals of 5%. The rest have to be permanently employed. And that's just a fantastic outcome of these negotiations. Well, mate, that is a incredible result for workers on the harbour. And, you know, by implication, it's an incredible result for uh, ordinary Sydney siders as well and people who visit this city because, as everybody knows, those ferries are famous public transport. It's a fantastic way of getting around. It's a fantastic service. And the only way that that's going to be maintained at such a standard is if we can, as a union, as workers on the harbour, manage to maintain those wages and conditions that the bedrock that provides such a fantastic service. Now, it's an important principle because there's other companies on Sydney Harbour that aren't behaving in the same way. So on Friday the 2nd of November 2018, the NRMA held its AGM and the Sydney branch of the MUA held a demo out the front. Ferry workers from every company, wharfies, seafarers, retired members, community activists and officials from the AMWU all came along to show their dissatisfaction with the company's behaviour. Here's a little bit of audio from that demo. <laughs> at Sydney Olympic Park. And the reason why we're here is because NRMA are having their AGM. NRMA are going to talk to their shareholders today about what an amazing job that they're doing. Now, the reason why they're doing such an amazing job is because they sponsor workers' rights abuses. NRMA... Paul, 
what the hell is going on with the NRMA? How big was that rally? First, I've got to give a mention to Paul Mackley, the branch secretary. That was something else. I mean, Paul got up and spoke as I did, but stood up there and took on the police who come to arrest us. There was 15-odd coppers there who offered to arrest us along the way because we were standing up. And when Paul and I and everyone that was there from the ferries and the union said to the coppers, well, if you want to arrest someone, there's a bloke inside that's running NRMA that's responsible for millions of dollars of wage theft. Why don't you go and pinch him and his underlings that have allowed it? I mean, that would have been, if they're going to look to arrest someone and deal with crime, why is it against the workers? And, of course, what was said to us was, oh, it's a civil matter. Oh, it's a civil matter. You're saying that to a union that's been to the Fair Work Commission now on five times to get this address. Don't worry about being civil matters. Workers are allowed to stand up and the court system didn't work. And what was going on there? What, 40, 50, 60 uh, ferry workers and unions just stood out the front and said, it's time for a fair go for ferry workers. How was the feeling at that demo? Oh, it was electric. It was a really good feeling. You've seen people who were seasoned campaigners and you've seen people who it was their first uh, real rally. And it was electric across to everyone because they were all standing there for the same position. And it was impressive to see the ones who have only joined the union stand there you know, wave the placards, stand up, use their voices and scream out for their fair go. That was a really good day. It was a really good rally and you could see the energy build and I think it's going to continue to build. Uh, immediately after the demonstration, actually, two MUA members went in. Uh, between them, they had about 78 years of membership of the NRMA and about 120 years of membership of the MUA. And one of them, Billy Giddens, asked a question of the CEO, Rowan Lund, and um, apparently received an applause from the audience afterwards. Well, Billy's just been a fine campaigner for his entire life, as has Johnny. And it was great to see both Bill and John in there and ask those questions, put it straight to him. Now, I understand they got all the responses that they absolutely know there's a problem and they're going to come back and deal with it. But there's two of our members, two of our senior members, taking it up right on the floor of the AGM. And to do so just keeps it present, not only in the minds of themselves, not only in the shareholders, but the board of directors that are sitting there on a decent bit of coin, put that in their thoughts too and let them know we're not going away until this is fixed. At Unity Bank, we are 100% committed to maritime workers. We pride ourselves on delivering better all-round value to our members and their families. Unity Bank, proud supporter of the Maritime Union of Australia and sponsor of this podcast. Bo, mate, you're a former employee of Fast Ferries and thus uh, the NRMA. When did you start working there? Um, where were you working beforehand and, and why did you go to work there? Uh, well, I started working at Fast Ferries back in 2015. I was previously a tradesman and um, wanted to endeavour my career in the maritime industry. Uh, evidently, I started out in the wrong company. Um, yeah, um, sort of lost for words being the fact that um, the way I was treated throughout my whole time there, they were sort of uh, quite belligerent towards all their staff. How would you describe the dynamic between ordinary staff and management there? Uh, there is a great divide between ordinary staff and management. Do you Manage feel respected at work? No, not at all. Management treat their staff like they're full-time employees when they want, but pay them as uh, well, pay them as full-time on a casual sort of salary. You gotta put in for annual leave when you want time off, not availability. They want two weeks' notice for days off. Yeah, it's very poor management, probably the worst management I've ever seen. So they're all casual over at Fast Ferries, is that correct? Correct. And around about how many vessels are they running on the harbour at the moment? Uh, 12. Running 12 vessels. 
And every single staff member for that organization are working as casuals. Correct. On a seven-year contract. On but a seven-year contract. But that's an interesting point you just make there. If I can take you back, you said about annual leave, you have to put in for annual leave. That you don't get. Yeah. You're casual, so yeah. you put in for an annual leave. And you do you, you do you get paid when you put in for that no, annual no, leave? No, no. It's available. It should be availability. But yeah. And in your experience, what was the safety standard like at the company? Well, um, considering they had uh, one maintenance manager and another sort of uh, lackey on the side, it's, uh, yeah, it was very bad. You'd raise concerns and just get death by roster. Uh, Explain cut- that term, death by roster. What so does they that mean? Start cutting your shifts, trying, your, trying to phase you out of the company for uh, speaking up. So would they give you a reason for it or you'd just get your slip one day for your hours and discover that there wasn't as many as you hoped? Yeah, you'd just, your next roster would slowly phase down, phase down, phase down. Death by roster. It's a great Death phrase, that one. Well, if you're not, uh, yeah, on the other end of it. The, fra- the phrase is good, being a recipient is pretty <laughs> shitty, <laughs> I suppose, isn't it? Yeah. And so is there any examples of safety incidents that you'd be able to describe to us? Oh, there's a fair few. I mean, you can just go look at the simple, um, they never roster time for drills. They'd safety drills. Is that safety that? drills, yep. yep. They'd never roster time for safety drills. They'd uh, make you work 10 hours on a weekend without providing a break, which is fatigue, uh, fatigue management. There's another one. You'd finish at 10.30 at night and you'd start at 4.30 a.m. in the morning. You'd have to drive home. And what's the training like for staff there, the safety training? Training where? No, <laughs> it's, yeah, little to none. So this is not the kind of story that you would think a company like the NRMA would like circulating publicly, is it? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, if you have a look at the situation and you've got two operators going side by side at Circular Quay, one's Harbour City Ferries and one's Manly Fast Ferries. Harbour City Ferries have gone through some bad times with some incidents and accidents, have rebuilt their training system, their safety system, so that they don't have accidents anymore. There's detailed drills, there's critical control failure drills, there's crews working together. I mean, you have the workers at Harbour City Ferries all trained in white-level security checks, and that's how you check for suspicious packages. If there's bomb threats, they're all conversing in these things. Then you go to Manly Fast Ferries where you've got people who are trained up. No, they're not. They don't know how to uh, do the anchoring drills. There's no firefighting drills. All the minimum ones aren't even met. And it's a surprise for NRMA because they pride themselves on safety, yet they've acquired a business that is anything but safe. Yeah, so uh, my understanding of the NRMA's business plan as they look forward to the future is they're hoping to expand into the tourism and transport industry. And given that this is one of their first forays into marine transport, Bo, out of five gold stars, how many would you give to Manly Fast Ferry, NRMA's newest acquisition? Half. Half a star. Half a star. And that's been generous. And it's a sad thing too because when you look at the workers and the ability of upskilling and training the workers and delivering something different, it should be a five-star product. I mean, the prices are good. It's a high-speed service. It's a good service. The boats are new. So some of the boats are new, sorry, I should say. Some of them should be dive wrecks by now. But that half a star that Bo says there is because of the way that the business is run. And this is where the gaps are. I suppose on the safety thing too, it's good to mention about uh, the Arafura Pearl, one of the ones that does the run. You may notice a big black line down the side and that's where it's actually got a hole in the hull and the exhaust fumes leak out of it. And when it was raised to Manly Fast Ferries Management, they said, oh, don't worry about the hole in the hull, it's above the waterline, as if that should be acceptable. I mean, these are maritime standards that usually puts boats out of operation, but for some reason 
this mob seems to be untouchable. So, but you described earlier that you were casual, that you had quite a difficult relationship with management, that if you raised issues with your managers, then there was always the ever-present risk of death by roster. What impact did these working conditions have on your life, mate? Well, you know, it was quite hard not to take it home. I mean, the missus would get pretty affected when I was always emailing Paul three or four times a day. <laughs> Should have asked the impact on Paul's yeah, life. I think it's... Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, look, it, it was hard not to take it home. I mean, both financially and mentally, the strain that they'd put on the employees was just, yeah, uncalled. And so uh, what did you decide to do about it? Just stand up for my basic rights. I think you went a bit further than that. <laughs> and I think, I think this, Bo, Bo can laugh, but I'll jump in if he won't answer it. Bo stood up and had a go. Um, first thing Bo recognises is that if he acts alone, then he's going to find himself isolated very quickly. And he's someone who I think has done a fantastic job in going out and talking to other workers and help organising and demonstrating that there's more power than when you stand together. And Bo's one of the ones who helped organise Manly Fast Ferries and made sure that the density of that workplace as a trade union environment is over 95%. Well done. So this is an important story, not just for yourself, but for many, many ordinary working class people in Australia at the moment. What did you actually do to organise people in the union? Like, what was your approach? Well, you'd have to approach each individual differently and just um, explain the concepts of what a union does, how it helps out the employees. They're just trying to get a fair go for the workforce. So give me an example. You're a, when you're at Fast Ferries, you're a decky, is that right? Uh, yeah, and master. Decky so, and master. Yeah. So for uh, the listeners out there, decky is the bloke who throws the ropes over the bollards and a master is the person who drives the boat. Is that right? Correct. All right, drivers and deckies. And so uh, you'd be at work, there'd be a number of staff on the boat and what, you just spark up a convo with other staff? How, how does it work? Oh, well, other staff would spark up a convo, how the boss had been ripping them off on their paychecks and docking their wages and then it would just spiral out of control there topic of the union had come up and you just educate them on the matter. And how'd you go get them over the line well, when it yeah. comes to the membership form? Well, you know, obviously it depends who you ask, but um, yeah, <laughs> most were more than happy to sign up due to the conditions they were put under from the company. True. The boss organised them for us, huh? Well, you know, the boss organised a few other people. That, uh, <laughs> hmm. Well, that's a good point, actually. What was the response from the company when you started organising? Oh, well, <laughs> threats. Just trying to line me up for dismissal. So yeah, there was a there was a lot of response from the company. How would you describe the response from the company, Paul? I think the manager's a coward. Um, Richard Ford, I'll name him, and I'm not worried about being sued on it. The bloke's a coward because what he does is goes and finds ferry workers one out. Um, he goes and talks to them one out and says things like, "Do you still want to work here? You know what happened to the last person? You can go to, and all the rest of it." And he does it individually, so he, he puts the threats on quietly because he doesn't want a union workplace. Certainly when Manly Fast started operating uh, and got the government contract, the MUA intervened with the help of another former member who's since moved on in the industry and challenged the rates of pay between Sydney and Manly and lifted up by 6 or $7 per hour simply because he was applying the wrong agreement back then. So he's designed a business on wage theft. We've called him out. We've said to him, you have to pay the right wages. And when I say we, the union, and since then he's always had the shit because that little bit of profiteering that he wanted to put back to his family trust uh, now has to go to the people who rightly earn the money, and that's the workers. So he ain't happy with it. But this is the thing he calls it out, and hopefully anyone who's listening to the podcast, 
whether it's uh, Richard Ford or any other boss, when they try and line you up one out, you all have an iPhone or an Android phone, hit the record function, record it. Get it all together. It doesn't hurt to get that evidence because we know what's happening and we're going to catch him sooner or later and we'll catch other bosses who go and isolate workers. There's a lesson in that. Always keep notes, whether they be recorded or written. Never, ever forget to write it down. Bo, at the ferries, what are people like? Are they old, young, been living in Sydney a long time, newly arrived? Describe the workforce to us. There's a large array of different people at the uh, ferries, ranging from young, old, out west, live on the harbour, live at the beach. I mean, most of them are laid back. I mean, as I used to tell them, they're a bunch of easygoing underachievers. But... um, (laughs) Yeah, no, a bunch of great, great, great people. And did all of them experience a similar kind of attitude from management that Paul was just describing? Yep, yep. And so amongst those people that you were talking to, did you ever encounter anyone who was reluctant to join the union? Oh, yeah, yeah, plenty, <laughs> plenty of times. <laughs> so, yeah, Why? you can't win them all. Uh, well, I dare say they're sort of getting little kickbacks on the side maybe from the boss. They're on their own little sort of little deal. There's also the others there that were reluctant to join up because they were concerned about what would happen in the death by roster. In fact, there's quite a few people who said they haven't joined the union and openly say they haven't joined it, and we know it's BS because we've got the forms and they're on the membership system. They just don't announce it publicly because they know what uh, sort of swine they work for. And that's where people say, oh, it's not a union work site. It's just not correct. It is. It's just people don't openly put it out. Maybe that's changed after the NRMA rally because of the nature of the employment there. And that's the nature of insecure work, when you've got casuals there that are fighting for the next day's shift. That's why Bo and so many others that have worked down there, Paul McAleer is branch secretary, the branch executive. Well, that's why we're pushing for permanent employment at Manly Fast Ferries and indeed every worksite that the MUA covers in the Sydney branch. There is many, many people that all of us would know and we'd be mates with and the listeners out there as well that are members of the NRMA. Bo, what would you say to those ordinary members of the NRMA? Ah, well, we just want a fair go for ferry workers. Simple as that. Paul, does the MUA want to keep working with the NRMA? Oh, listen, we'll work with anyone. There's no problems in working with the NRMA. Manly Fast Ferries, Patrick's, DP World, Sydney Ferries, any of the shipping companies, we'll work with a lot of them. It's not about fighting, but we'll fight if we have to. It's about getting outcomes for the members, but we'll fight if we have to. And what's been asked for is a bit of dignity and a bit of respect and about getting uh, outcomes that are fair. Now, we've written through both to Manly Fast Ferries, the blow-ass solicitor that they employ to fob everything off, as well as NRMA. We've met with the CEO of NRMA and we've written to them. We wrote to them months ago asking for their help and we didn't get a response that was uh, relative. So in regards to working with people, of course we'll work with them. Of course we'll sit at any table, as the union does, every day around every port each day of the year. But what we won't do is have, be treated with contempt, but more importantly, have the members treated with contempt. And when they say we want a fair day's pay, they're entitled to it. And when they say they want their back pays and their underpays uh, fixed, they're entitled to it. So expect people to sit at the table and fix it. And if they don't, as I said, we'll fight for it. The MUA will stand up for its members. The members will stand up as we've seen at that NRMA rally. Enough is enough. Bo, do you reckon the members at Fast Ferry are going to continue to organise? Uh, yeah, Definitely. I mean, just going back to that last question, I think the more relevant question would be, do you think NRMA is willing to work with the union? Indeed. There's a good shout-out to Rowan Lund, the CEO of the NRMA. (laughs) Certainly you've got unanswered correspondence at the time this podcast is done. We're certainly looking forward to receiving that by the time that this goes live. 
Well, that's all for us today from Radio Stingray. Thanks for coming in, Bo. Really appreciate having you in the studio, mate. No worries. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And if you uh, enjoyed listening to the podcast, I encourage you to share it on the socials and go over to wherever you listen to your favourite podcast and subscribe. That's wonderful. Thanks very much today, everyone. Tuned in to Radio Stingray.